the about salvation. So we're gonna do chapter fifty-five today. We're gonna do verse uh, seven through uh, six through seven, but it's only thirteen verses. But it's talking about salvation. It says, "Ho, everyone that cometh thirst that thirsted, come ye to the waters, and he that had no money, come ye buy and eat." Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfied not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness, and find your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you and even the sure mercies of David. We'll do a teaching session on that everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David also. It says, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. I think that's a messianic, messianic scripture there, and it's actually talking about Christ being given as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the people. And we may do a uh, subject. That one after we look at it, I hadn't looked at that one to the point of doing it. Uh, and then verse 5 says, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he had glorified thee. So there's the salvation of the Gentiles given unto the Gentiles. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. Uh, And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Here it's talking about repentance. Here it's talking about repentance turning back unto the Lord and I'm going to take that from the angle of the book of Am- in the book of Amos when he's calling the people back to him. The people had a knowledge of God, but here in the faucet that he's talking to the Gentile nations, all of them, those are the ones who had not known God. So there are some that know of God, but are not seeking after God. But then we're looking at the one that says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So that verse we're looking at this afternoon is seek, seeking God and doing what's right. Uh, as we come into that verse, it says, Seeking God and living. It says, Seek ye while he may be found, call on me while he is near. The only way we can have life is through God. The book of Proverbs, 8 chapter, 32nd through the 36 verses now therefore O sons listen to me for blessed that is happy prosperous to be admired is one those are in italicis in the amplified version saying that a person that is blessed is one that is happy prosperous and to be admired in other words it's taking from the perception of that's that one is one that is saved, one is a child of God. Blessed 
are they who keep my ways. He that is pay attention to instructions and be wise and do not ignore or neglect it. Now, a lot of people are not good listeners. They always want to, they're always talking or whatever and want to express themselves, but they're not analyzing what they're hearing. If you can analyze what you're hearing, take heed unto it and follow those instructions. That's what the Word of God is. It's about following instructions. It says, Blessed, that is, is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, for whosoever finds me. It's talking from the concept of the wisdom of God. When you find God and we ask Him for wisdom, this is a person that is hungry and thirsted for righteousness. It goes back to that first verse, a person that's hungering, a person that's thirsty, looking for something to satisfy them. The things of life no longer are satisfying. This is a person that God's working on, giving them a desire for God, creating in them a hungerness for God, because we know no man can go to God unless God draweth him. There's none that seek it after God. So God's working intimately with an individual that starts to have these desires and passions in him. It says, waiting for me at my doorpost, for whoever finds me, that is wisdom, finds life and obtains favor and grace from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, ascends against me, injures himself, and all those who hate me love and court death. So to hate the wisdom of God, the things of God, you don't have life and you love death. You would choose death rather than life. God gives us a choice to choose life. Uh, I read that in the living verse. It says, And so, young men, listen to me, for how happy are all who follow my instructions. Listen to my counseling. Don't refuse it and be wise. Happy is the man who is so anxious to be with me that he watches for me daily at my gates or waits for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and wins approval from the Lord. But the one who misses me has injured himself irreparably. Those who refuse me show that they love death. We're looking at the, in this within this passage and several times, maybe three or four times here, God commands us to listen, to take heed. Listening is something that a lot of people nowadays can't do or don't do, and really God hadn't given them ears to hear. It's kind of a lost art of listening. This divine emphasis on listening or hearing tells us that many of us have a serious problem with listening at what is being said or extrapolating from it what the intentions or what is meant by what is said. If we are not listening, we are not learning. And if you read Hosea the fourth chapter and Leviticus the twenty sixth chapter, this will lead out lead to our destruction. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge of hearing because it's imperative that we understand God's word, the instruction, the doctrine that's within God's word. Yes. That's why Aaron's sons were 
destroyed because they didn't take heed to what God says. And that was Adam's problem, not listening. Because listening, you do what you hear. If you're not a doer of what you're hearing, it's no use hearing it if you're not going to make, make anything, do anything about what you hear. God commands us to watch, to wait, and to search for him. So all of those are active verbs there. It pertains to something that we must what? Do. It requires movement. He instructs us to do this daily. So as we get up, we go about this. This is a daily endeavor. Diligence, in other words, to carefully and persistently do these things. He wants us to teach. He wants to teach us every day, and our job is to be watching daily for those teachable moments from God. Brother Parker called me yesterday afternoon, and we talked a good while or whatever. And those are the moments. A lot of times, I take into consideration what's said and what's being done. But each day, I get up and try to find God. Where's God at in this day? What What is God trying to teach me this day. It's something like that old, in the comic they used to have a thing, where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? Well, we're trying to find God, searching for God. Each day, is God in this? Where's God in this? I'm on a hunt for God because it's a rewarding thing to find God. God is in all of our activities and everything, so we must Watching daily at my gates, it says. It's not about keeping a lookout for Christ's return, but looking for opportunities to learn from God. Is this a teachable moment? Everything should be uh, sometime become teachable moments. We miss out on opportunities to learn. God, it says, all of our, his children, all of the blessed man's children shall be taught of God. Are you teachable? Are you one that's searching for wisdom and knowledge? Are you trying to pull something out of life, or do you go through life oblivious, oblivious of things that's going on around you? That you're not walking circumspectively. He says, he promises, whoever finds me finds life, implying that we need to search for it. This is a persistent search each and every day. This is what we go out and actively pursue. He says pursue holiness, pursue peace. But we need to pursue after righteousness. We need to pursue God. Amos later on reiterates in Amos 5 and 4, seek me and live. He says seek me and live because finding Jesus is finding life and life abundantly, abundant life. It's a it's a quality of life, a quality of eternal life. One of the ways in seeking God, prayer and seeking God. Prayer and seeking God. First Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, Regarding this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was intended for you, searched carefully and inquired about this future way of salvation seeking to find out what person or what time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he foretold the suffering of Christ and the glorious destiny 
to be followed. In other words, they didn't understand. They didn't know what they spoke of or what time it was that they were speaking of. Uh, I thought I'd just put only two of these, but I, I, I end up not taking all of them out. Let's read the Amplified Version. Uh, it says, It was revealed to them that their services, their prophecies regarding grace, were not meant for themselves and their time. It was meant for the us whom the world this thing has fallen on to. This was written for our admonition. The prophecy wasn't for them at that time. It was a future prophecy. It says, But for you in these things, the death, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ, which have now been told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven into these things, even the angels desire to look into the angels don't understand it. They don't know God's complete plan. They don't understand the forgiveness of sin because they were created perfect. But they're looking at God's plan unfold and they're looking into this as witnesses and watching these things. Uh, where did I get this from? Let's go. This, this salvation was something the prophets did not fully understand. Though they wrote about it, they had many questions as to what it could mean. They wondered what the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about. For he told them to write down the events which since then have happened to Christ. All of this suffering was foretold, but they didn't know this was clouded to them. It's like uh, when Daniel was talking about end time events, and he was trying to extrapolate a meaning from it. And the angel says, seal it up. It's closed down. And now during the end time in the book of Revelations, we see these things unfolding. But a lot of the prophets, until this unfold, we see throughout the Old Testament where they spoke of the Gentiles coming in. This was already designed that the Gentiles would come in at a greater volume and a greater faith than the Jews that this was a, just a type in a shadow. So just as prophecy foretells, prophecy was foretelling of these end times. Sometimes prophecy is just speaking the word of God or whatever, but this was the foretelling. Yes. They were finally told that these things would not occur during their lifetime, but long years later during our lifetime. And now at this last, this good news has been plainly announced to us. It was preached to us in the power of the same Holy Spirit which spoke to them. And it is also so strange and wonderful that even the angels in heaven would give a great deal to know more about this. So they're trying to learn. And that's why when you see when it says by that same spirit that he went back and preached to the spirits in heaven in prison. Those spirits in prison were the spirits that were in darkness, the time of darkness, the time that people groped not understanding the clarity of the word of God. It was the same spirit that preached during that time. It's the same, the spirit continually to do the work. The spirit is like God, it's immutable, it doesn't change, it's unchangeable. 
consider what these verses say from the standpoint of the prophets who were looking into these things, were researching these things. And that's why I spent a whole lot of my time researching the Word of God. Not just reading it and looking at it, but researching, trying to find out just where does this fit. It's like a puzzle, a mystery that I need God to help me figure out. So prayerfully, we pray to God that he would show us these things. When Daniel went back and read in the book of Jeremiah that this time of captivity, the 70 years of captivity was about to come to an end, and he went back and studied the books. The people that hit the books and study and research and pray to God are the most effective, and we're in that time to where it's going to require a lot of studying, a lot of praying to God in living with clean hands the right way to be able to see, to bring others to the light. We have to be those lights. How did they look into these things? How did they seek God? How did they search Him out? I was telling you about in Daniel, that passage that I was talking about is Daniel, the ninth chapter, the first through the third verse. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word by the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet. So Daniel was looking into the Bible. He was studying the Bible. So we can go back. We can look up the great tribulation. When is that great tribulation? We can, if we go back and study what it does, it casts a light on some false prophets some denomination of doctrines and things that they have, the Bible itself will show you wherein the error lies if you're coming to it with an open mind, a prayed-up mind, with the right motives and intents that you're seeking and searching for the true and the living God, and you're praying for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and he'll give you these things. That's the diligence that you pursue this with, with a zeal for God. Not with a slowfulness, a lackadaisical approach or whatever, but that you searching for hidden treasures yes. with all of your heart. And he, will, he looked and says that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications and with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here Daniel humbles himself. He prays to God. He requests, he tells God specifically what he's looking for. God shows him that the 70 years is about to come in, and he was praying for the people. So we would go to the Word of God and pray to God. There's a lot of Sabbath days that I come in here and preach. I'll give you God's answer that you've been searching for and asking for that week. There are a lot of Bible study nights that I'll give you the answer, not knowing what answer I'm giving you, but the Spirit would lead me to give you because if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, He'll fill you. And that when He says, come by wine and milk, 
that's something wine is invigorating. It, it makes you cheerful. It makes you joy. Whereas milk is nourishing. It gives you stamina. You don't need money for these things, but you do need to bring self there. You, you need to bring that mind because what it's doing is creating the minds and thoughts of God because our minds and thoughts are not like his mind and thoughts and our ways are not like his ways. So as disciples, we're a new creation being made anew in his image and his likeness as we're going unto God. Looking into his word is a major portion of seeking him. It is not the the end of it because as Amos 5 and 4, 6 through 7 and 14 and 15 relates, it says, seek, seek. Now in the biblical sense, seek does not just mean gaining an intellectual knowledge of God, but a turning to become like God. In other words, I'm learning this so that I could imitate this God that I could become like Jesus walk as he walked do as he walked the knowledge of God is of absolutely no use unless we become like God which is why he says seek God and live Amos 5, 4 and 6 seek God and live because we're being doing what he said do all the way back in the book of Genesis, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You're looking at that character. You're looking to be like your father in his image and his likeness. Because you can't have those traits of the devil because that's what he told the Pharisees and the people that says that we, our father is Abraham. says, your father was Abraham. You wouldn't go about trying to kill me you of your father the devil who was a murderer in the beginning so what the Bible does it allows us to see these character traits and things that we have that we have to deny ourselves it might call for humbling ourselves and fasting and praying to die to self that God would crucify that part of me that's being resentful, bitter, hateful all of the things that he says these are the works of the flesh and they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This word of God, seeking God in that, it washes us, it sanctifies us, it sets us apart as people of God. What good is it if we have the knowledge but do not repent, do not turn to act and become like he is? That's what I say. Are we preaching repentance? A lot of people say, well, you know how what's called. He's been that way all his life. Well, that man has to die. That old man has to die. We can't take you the way you are. God doesn't take you. He changes. He gives you a new heart. You're a new creation. That old man is dead. We have to put him to death. So don't keep coming and talking about, I know how you was and I know your way. That's what we need to do. We need to take those vices and change them into verses. We need for you to take up your cross and deny yourself to follow after Christ. Put it to death. I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. We have to kill that old man. That has to be a division of who you are. 
That nature has to go. You have a new nature in you. You are born again. You're being regenerated. You're being made anew. If we only gain knowledge, we will not live. There are a lot of smart people out there. That doesn't give them life. Uh, that guy that died a little while back or whatever that's in a wheelchair and forgot what his name was. I'm this guy, Stephen Hawkins, he was one of the greater minds of our time. Uh, they're talking about the wisdom that Elon Musk has. On the wisdom, uh, we had a, President Obama was a very intelligent man, so was Bill Clinton. And two presidents, Clinton and uh, Obama, that were very intellectual. They, they, uh, I think they made good leaders and things. They were men that had a process of thinking, but without God, that, that's just secular or worldly thinking. No man has came to the ranks of Solomon, risen to those ranks. Jesus Christ, is, we wouldn't even put him and Solomon in the same thing or whatever. No one can make a comparison with Jesus Christ, but all of his wisdom, those was applicable as God. But Solomon, with the wisdom and thing he had, he's the one that caused the ten to twelve tribes to be divided. He went into idolatry, and he, his wives drew his heart away from God. So wisdom by itself, by just knowing, doesn't get it done. Prayer plays a major role in this process. That's why I tell you, give yourself to study or give yourself to prayer. Prayer plays a major role. Daniel was seeking for God's mind for the purpose of imitating, obeying, and pleasing, and being like God and doing his will. So he sought it in prayer, and he sought it in works, and it gave him a certain boldness to act and be a light during his time. If we wanted to continue in the prophet's book, we would find in chapter 10 that another occasion came up in which he fasted for three weeks. A person must be very serious and fervent to fast that long. We see where a lot of prophets fasted, desiring to not fulfill the flesh, but to pursue spiritually what God has for them. That's a strengthening process. But we don't see where fast days was indicated where you had to fast. I think it was one day of fasting that spiritually that the Bible has. But fasting is a way of buffeting, a way to abstain from the flesh or the carnal impulses of the flesh. To strengthen the inner man of the spiritual man. The angel that was sent to tell him that God had heard Daniel's prayer, showing you that it didn't take that long for God to hear. He says, God had heard the words from the very first day that you began to pray. God heard it. And whether he was hearing and answering a prayer was not a question of that. So he spent three weeks fasting and praying to understand the will of God. That's why I say, sometimes when we come to a rut and things that we don't understand, we have to bring it to the Lord and show Him our sincerity in seeking Him and in finding that answer. Yes. 
that it really matters to us and that we're willing to sacrifice something to give up something. When he says coming by without money, come by freely, he's saying that God doesn't want your money or anything, but where's your sincerity of this? Where's the diligence? Is this just a desire or is this part of seeking it for the kingdom of heaven's sake? That's why when Jesus said, Anything that you ask the Father in my name, that he'll do. Well, that's he'll do it if it's pertaining for the progression of the kingdom, for progression of the cause of Christ, for progression of the glorification of Christ. Uh, So as we pray, prayer puts us on the same same wavelength with God and it communicates it puts our focus that's why when Jesus says pray he says pray to the Father in my name so we're praying to God the Father but it's in the name of Jesus if we're doing these things we have every opportunity to pray according to his will because we will be praying his word back to him It is in this way that we come to know God in the sense of perceiving things as he does because we keep his commandments and it's not grievous unto us. And so we're trying to align ourselves with his way of thinking and his thoughts as we assimilate the word of God unto ourselves that we don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We're trying to conform Form our lives by the transforming and the renewing of our mind to be just like Christ. We're trying to mold ourselves in His image and His likeness. And that's why the Spirit guides us and leads us into all truth. And we know God is truth. Yes. His Word is truth. It's the way and the life. It's That's where we're going headed. You remember I was talking about a path of righteousness. He leads us on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's a light and a lamp to our feet on that path. Because he's bringing us to us, us to him, so that we would be one with him. Him and the Son and the Father is dwelling within us. But we know he had given us the Spirit, that comforter, to be led by that Spirit of God. Going here to Amos, it's prevalent in the book of Amos about seeking God. We're going to look at the fifth chapter here and maybe end up the other half of our time here going through this portion. It says, Hear this word which I take up for you as a funeral song, O house of Israel. She has fallen, she will not arise again. The virgin Israel, she lies neglected on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left, and the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me, that is, search diligently for me, and regard me as more essential than food. I'm more essential than your necessary physical food. That's why he said man shall not live by bread alone. When Jesus was fasting in the wilderness that 40 days and nights, it was the word of God that was powering and strengthening him 
that spirit looking under the Father for the job that he had ahead. The fallen obedience and yielding himself to God's will. He says, Search diligently for me and regard me more essential than food so that you may live. But do not resort to Bethel to worship the golden cave and enter idolatrous Gilgal and cross over to Bathsheba and its idols. For Gilda will certainly go into captivity and exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord so that you may live or he will rush down like a devouring fire, O house of Jacob, and there will be no more to quench the flame from Bethel. So he's telling his people, these are false places of worship. So God may not be found in some of these churches and places we go to now. It's to become a pit, a idolatrous quagmire. So a lot of the churches are places that they will be result to. He destroyed Bethel. He told them, seek not to Bethel, nor to Dan, or Gilgal. These are places where they had golden calf worship, Bathsheba. All of these different places, they had been ruined by man's false worship. Politically and religiously, it had come corrupt. That's why he tells us to flee Babylon. Get out of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. Come out of this world. It's religious systems. The things of the world, they are apostate. Come out of her. Pull away. I'm going to destroy them. Unless you be, unless you come out and be ye separate from them, you will receive of her plagues or whatever. We can't stand Bethel. Now we have to note something of considerable importance to church members. Both Isaiah and Amos addressed their counsel to people who already had made a covenant with him. And I, I told you I wanted to talk to you or put a series about the everlasting covenant. We're talking about the church just like he was talking about Israel. This is people who already knew God, but they wasn't following God. That's why I say just knowing of God or intellectually knowing things in the Bible, that they, they're not, those things are not applicable in their life. They're not following God. And that's why he says you need to turn and repent. So they're not glorifying him as God. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's the problem with the church now. It's not seeking God. They're like the Laodicean. God is nowhere inside of them. God's knocking at the door. Because the Israelites were in serious spiritual trouble within a relationship that the covenant created and that's a perilous place to be in these last times is where he's condemning sin in the flesh and you're treating your body as though it's your body. You're corrupting the body of God, the temple of God. You're defiling that temple. You've accepted Christ. Now you'll have no more sacrifice if you trample that sacrifice underfoot. You're like Judas. He's chosen you. You'd never turn. Judas was consistently a devil. That wasn't no repentance in him. And the, it says when he and when hung himself is because he didn't have any alternative. He wasn't turning to God because of his evil ways that, that he loved God and was turning. 
It's just that he was at the end of his rope. That's why he says, woe be unto you. There are those that are of their father, the devil. It says, he that does not believe shall be damned. They are cursed children. We're living in a generation where we have to step back and analyze and ask God to lead us because some we can't say. The gospel is preached as a warning. It condemns. That's the sword. That's a rod. It's preached, but they will be like the during the times of Noah. They won't be saved. They won't be on that ark of safety. That's why I said we're going to talk about salvation also. So to be children of God, if you can read that book of Hosea, you'll see where it says, Ephraim have become joined to his idols. Let him alone. You don't want God to walk away from you and says, He's going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. You hear in the book of Corinthians where Paul says, disfellowship this man. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Because this is very, very consequential is, is that you know God and not following God. If you're going to be beaten with many, much, many more stripes if you know to do good and not do it. You're going to be charged with a whole lot. It says, these are stern exhortations for them to get on the ball. I'm warning you that Christ is right at the door. God warned Cain. He says, if you do well, your sacrifice will be accepted. But if not, sin lies at the door. And its desire is to you, and it's seeking to control you. God tells us repent. How many churches in the book of Revelations, I think it's five, and he says repent quickly. I know you're doing some of these things, but this I have against you, and that you need to repent quickly. So what we have to look at, a second but readily apparent reason why these warnings are important to us is that seeking after God truly does not begin until after he reveals himself to us and we make a covenant with him. This does not begin to after we get there because we have to know God. How can we seek after God? We don't know. So now we're telling you where to dig. Here's where to dig. This is the soil that you need to till or plow up. Dig up your fallow ground. The problem is self. You're looking into a mirror darkly. Now what you have to do is clear those obstacles. And when I say follow God, it's a lot of times people and even your enemy may tell you criticism or say things. And instead of you taking heed to that and understand, this is talking about you. You doing all this talking and going along with this and saying all this. But it's aimed at you. You don't know that this is aimed at you. You're not aware of this. That's why it says the devil had blinded the minds of those that believe. So sometimes people can tell you things and you won't believe what or understand what they're saying. The voice of God has become dull to you and you can't hear. That's why I say all of the television programs I'm watching, I'm looking for God in those programs. Anything I do, I'm looking for where's God in this? 
There has to be a meaning or purpose because I'm not anywhere that God isn't. The presence of God is there. I always look for the presence of God. So whatever I'm doing, God's there now. If it's dark, if you have to go to the bottom of the ocean, God's there. Wherever I go, God's there. I need to find him. Many do not realize that seeking God is the main occupation for a Christian during the sanctification process because he's going to be pointing and making you aware. Hey, that's the wrong one. It's like deja vu. He gives you life over again. And you must go down the road less traveled. You may have to take the different option or whatever. So God's giving you a chance to make this anew and God saying, now go this way and listen, because I'm going to lead you and guide you in all truth. And he's true to his promises. God warns us of how devastating the coming perilous times will be. When he says perilous times are here, very perilous times. Even nature is striking back. Then he counsels us to seek the help of one far greater that he is our creator and ruler. You have to have God to get through this. This is the only one that can get you through this is God, the creator. Finally, he urges us to turn our everyday conduct seeking to do good. That's what he had created us for. The purpose he created us is for well-doing. We shouldn't grow weary of doing that. We need to show and care for God and his people to even loving of our enemies because a sovereign God is telling me to obey these rules, this record book right here, this record book, I need to follow. But in the spirit, so he had given me the spirit, not just the letter of the law, just like the humanity of Jesus Christ made him personal to where he could have mercy. God doesn't have mercy as Jesus Christ was right there in the visual who looked up on this woman caught in adultery. He looked and felt in her eyes and there a human breathing blood person of man's looking up on him, her that can have compassion and says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn a merciful high priest. We had a high priest that is able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. The woman that said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get close enough just to touch the hem of his garment, if we can just get to God, and that's why he told you to pray to the Father. Knowledge without acknowledging. Knowledge without acknowledging. Romans one twenty one. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Yes. I'll read that in the Amplified Version there. It says, for even though they knew God as the Creator, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless with pointless reasoning and silly speculations, and their foolish heart became dark. And it's like Pharaoh's heart. He began to harden his own heart. 
these are people that knew the creation. They knew God. These are the church people. This is the religious of our day. The Living Bible says, yes, they knew about him all right, but they wouldn't admit it or worship him or even thank him for all his daily care. Do we thank him each day? At the end of the day, do we just thank God for the journey it brought us through? In the morning we rise up. Do we thank him for bringing us through the night and the perilous journey that we have on the day ahead? During the day, are we constantly praying and asking him for direction and guidance? It says, and after a while, they began to think up silly ideas of what God was like and what he wanted them to do. The result was their foolish minds became dark and confused. We see this in our nation now with Christian nationalism and another Jesus being preached in the twisting and the turning of the gospel in no spirit. We're looking at an unrepentant people and just as they're whitewashing everything else, they're trying to whitewash the words of God. They're trying to change these things. And I'm not in a battle with these covenant breakers. So I say it's an everlasting covenant. He made an everlasting covenant. We will have to go in the book of Romans. In this New Testament people he's talking about. The book of Romans, the first chapter, 31st verse, it says, In the last days in these times, it says, Without understanding, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. This describes this nation, this world. In this time, exactly as it is, exactly as the Christian, so-called Christian people are today. It says they tried to misunderstand. They broke their promises and were heartless and without pity. That's how we are today. That, that's why we have to purge the church. That's why he tells the church to repent or he'll come back and fight against the church. He charges them with seeking him reveals that despite making the covenant, what they knew about him had not been translated into everyday living like him. And you remember I told you, we preached on it yesterday, God in practical living, righteousness in practical everyday living. Is this the life you live? Uh, Does he address us as Isaiah addressed the nation? He says a hypocritical nation. It calls them a hypocritical nation. This indicates that they were just drifting along with the times. And we see churches changing, people changing, all of these things changing. We're not looking for the old past and the old way. The churches that say that they're conservative, some of them of the most radical, most God forsaken people they are. Four times in Amos 5, he urges them to seek God. Two of those times, he adds, that you may live. John 17 and 3, which indicates that more than just being an endless existence, eternal life is a quality of life. It's a quality of life. He says, I truly wish that you were blessed and be in health. He wants us serving God in a crucial and an admirable way. 
And this is life eternal, verse John 17 and 3 says. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That you would know God. Yes. That you've sought, you found the Son, and the Son have revealed the Father unto you. But when the Son revealed the Father unto you, the Father revealed the Son. This trifecta that opened up. That the Spirit led you and guides you in all truth and is still doing. And that's why I preached a civic righteousness yesterday. I talked about a civic righteousness. And that's what the people weren't doing. They wasn't doing a social justice, a social gospel. They, they wasn't civic-minded to the poor, to the homeless, to those that were oppressed. Amos 5, 4 to 15. I'm not going to have time to do this whole thing. I'm going to run over. It says, the Lord says to the people of Israel, seek me and live. Don't seek the idols of Bethel. Seek the Lord and live. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says, O evil men, you make justice a bitter pill for the poor and oppressed. Righteousness and fair play are meaningless fiction to you. Seek him who created the seven stars and the constellation Orion, who turns darkness into morning and day into night, who calls forth the water from the ocean and pours it out as rain upon the land. The Lord Jehovah is his name. With blinding speed and violence, he brings destruction on the strong, breaking all defenses. How you hate honest judges. How you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor and you steal their smallest crumb with all of your taxes and fines and usury. Therefore, you will never live in the beautiful stone houses you are building, nor drink the wine from the lush vineyards you are planting. For many and great are your sins. I know them all so well. You are the enemies of everything good. You take bribes. You refuse justice to the poor. Therefore, those who are wise will not try to interfere with the Lord on the dread day of your punishment. Be good, flee evil, and live. Then the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will truly be your helper, as you have claimed he is. Hate evil and love the good. Remodel your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of hosts will have mercy on his people who remain. Perhaps. Maybe on some. And we, we've seen our Supreme Court just fall off the rails. And it's a wicked court now. The Supreme Court, it is, it is gone. We've lost that. We've lost the politicians. We've lost the churches. In other words, Babylon is fallen. This great counterfeit. We can tell that the foundations of this society is being formed, is fallen. But we see God's kingdom rising up. God's kingdom is coming to light. God's people, we see this coming through the eyes of faith. We're walking by faith. So we're helping establish the laws of God. Central to understanding verses 4 to 15 is the word seek, which appears four times. Three times in relation to seeking God himself and once to seeking good because we don't know what good is as a nation anymore. As a people, we don't know what good because we don't know God. In other words, we know of God. But they not in repentance and turning and following after God and to be like God. 
seeking to be like him. And that's what the people are crying. This Jesus that the Christians of this nation are advocating, this is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is not the historical Jesus. The listing of the number of sin of their sins, all of which would call we call social sins. In other words, it's civic. It's concerning the people among us. It's concerning the community. Amos mentions the poor twice, but he does not necessarily imply a person with little money because he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, the churches have become so corrupt that the people are thirsting and hungry, and that's why he declares, woe he that thirsts, let him come unto me, that you don't need money. They had articles in there about a lot of mega churches and churches that don't allow certain people of social ills to sit in their front rows, to be in the front of their churches and everything, to have leadership positions and everything. This, this is a sickness and a, a plague that are in the church. The term includes them, but their meaning is the weak, the ones that are deficient in, in physically socially that are not up the ladder, that don't have the reputations and and the power structure others. The poor are those whom we would say have little or no economic, political, or judicial clout, or poor. The St. Amos addresses are matters of strong taking advantage of the weak. Sins that afflict the poor, such as bribery, unjust judgment in the courts, truth being ridiculed and righteous and testimony being thrown out. Amos especially indicts Israel's corrupt court system and that's what you see now. They're rioting over in the new Israel over there. Netanyahu and those people are trying to bring in judicial reforms against the people that are weakening the laws. It's just as it did with this nation, with the Supreme Court, the political system, and the religious alliance with that political system. It's a beast world system where the false prophet, the beast, all of this system, this religious system, has brought down the ruin of this nation. That's why he was telling them not to go to Bethany. In other words, that this day and time, I don't want to name religion or people or whatever, but there are a lot of mega hosts out there of evangelicals and churches and denominations, all the different things that you're not going to find God in those places. That's why they started the house churches, and Jesus says, Your house is left unto you desolate. Yes. Seek God and not evil that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As you have spoken, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. A person does not need to seek God if he has already revealed himself to him. You, you know what God is. God has shown you the grace of God had appeared to all men. It's just that you're not willing to make that sacrifice and line up with it. You're not willing. You're like the rich young ruler when he sell all that that have and take up your cross. And follow after me. Thus, in that word seek, it means to turn. Turn to him in repentance. Turn to him in the way you're doing. Your practical everyday living. This is a way of saying, set aside your time in life for God. Don't spend so much time 
watching your television. Don't spend so much time on your computer and your phone. Don't spend so much time tending to your lawn, to your work, to your job, to worldly ventures. That busyness, you're like Martha, you're busy with things that this world is passing away. Seeking the Hebrew imperative has the force of a command. Seeking good or seeking God in verse 4 is an act that we have to set ourselves to do. That's an action word, seek. It is not a natural inclination because that's what we have. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to law of God, neither can it be. Uh, the living says, because the old sinful nature within us is against God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. So we're not geared to follow God. This is something we have to force ourselves to do. We have to actively deny ourselves because that you want to do, you don't do. That you do, you don't want to do. So it's a pushing of the old, the old man that inner self has to eliminate the outer self because you're carnal. Paul spoke of carnal Christians. But it's worth the effort for its product is life, not just a physical in existence, but life more abundantly. That's why he says about wine and salvation, seeking him, he says uh, about, I think, uh, I think this is a cutoff point. I don't have to stop it. We'll pick it up Wednesday night. we have to go from here because... This seeking in this life, you start having a fuller life, prosperity and health, because this waiting and this reward, this preaching that the prophets would, it's going to start to pay off. We're going to start to see it paying dividends in this life. As Christ said, in this life. Now, we're going to have many persecutions and many people try, like during the time when Nehemiah was building back the walls, the people physically went against them. Well, people go physically and spiritually go against us the more we try in this day, but we go overcome. We will speak to the mountain through the word of God, the good news. Heavenly Fathers, we come.